You ready? Uh-oh. There we go. Where's Rob? There he is. Hey. Hey, guys. Hey. Rob, how you doing? Good. Good. Sorry for the cluttered bookshelf. I'm trying to, this window has a lot of glare, so. I like Everybody it. Everybody comes on and apologizes for what's going on behind them. <laughs> but I'd be the one apologizing? Look at what Jason's got going on behind him. Michael? Yeah. I think my wife has shamed me into the... The last person said that the reason why it looked the way it looked was their wife. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Nice. Now that Mother's Day is over, we can throw our watch in the bus. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, that's a really tough weekend. There's probably some sort of recovery time for us after <laughs> after a job well done. You know, this Mother's Day, I did pretty well up until about 9 p.m. on Mother's Day. And then, I don't know, I just said the wrong thing and it started. (laughs) And you're just like, oh, no, oh, no, wait, what am I doing? And then I had to dig out and I did. I recovered. It was close. It was close. Welcome to the Insurance Dudes, a podcast for insurance agency owners helping us to think of different ways to optimize our business and our lives. In this week's episode, Craig Pretzinger and Jason Feldman meet Rob Galbraith. He doesn't always come on our podcast, but when he does, he's the most interesting dude in insurance. Most will scramble away from natural disasters, but when Rob was director of property underwriting at USAA, he would drive towards tornadoes, earthquakes, and hurricanes to collect the ever-important data. Ready? Let's go. Rob, the most interesting man in insurance. Yes, I am not interesting personally, but uh, I had some <laughs> cool experiences in insurance. So I love it. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, Nick Lamparelli, I don't know if you guys know Nick, but he has a Profiles and Risk podcast. He's the one that interviewed me a couple years ago and gave me that, and it sucked. So. I love it, man. It's, yeah, so actually, um, like, there's a group from the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety. They're just launching out right now to uh, chase uh, some thunderstorms out in the Great Plains uh, to try to catch some hail. And I went with them a couple years ago. So driving into the dark clouds instead of away from the dark clouds was pretty crazy. And uh, oh, one time where I was driving 65 miles an hour and the storm was actually going faster, that overtook me and just totally smashed the windshield and we stayed on the road and all that but it was pretty pretty hair-raising experience so um was, yeah, which is 10 times more it, interesting than sitting in an office yeah any day outside of an office is a good day at work yeah <laughs> unless uh, you have yeah, and a helicopter with san diego fire department kind of having them tell me all about their risks i Happened to be in Hawaii for a conference, and when I landed, like an hour later, an earthquake started that ended up with the lava flow and all that. So yeah, I just had some pretty cool experiences in my career. That's when cool. Was the, yeah. And sorry, go sorry. you go. <laughs> we all we do. do this. Yeah, <laughs> that's the whole show. We don't even get to talk. We just yeah. By the end, we get really mad at each other. So that brings up a good point, man. You you have a very interesting background. Love it. Can you can you share some of that for the people that might not know who Rob is? Yeah, absolutely. So um yeah, born and raised in Michigan. Uh 
in Ann Arbor, Michigan, actually, to be specific. Uh, I did not want to go to the hometown school, so I did not go to the University of Michigan. I went to Michigan State instead. So proud Spartan, go green, go white. And um, I was an econ major. So after I graduated, I got to work at the Federal Reserve in Washington, D.C. for two and a half years as a research assistant, which was great. And this is in the mid-90s, so this is like pre-data science. That wasn't a thing or whatever. We were just kind of, you know ran statistical models for the PhD economists. And um, probably my biggest claim to fame was there was actually a memo uh, that I gave to Alan Greenspan, who was the Fed chairman at that time every week. And I asked him one time, or asked his his admin one time, you know, there's 80 research assistants. I'm one of, you know, a gazillion people giving him stuff to read. Does he actually read all this stuff? And she said, oh, yes, he reads every single piece of information he gets. He, He reads them in his bathtub at night. And I just had this like mental image that has never left me 20 years later of Alan Greenspan in his bathtub reading my mouth. um, And so then I I moved to San Antonio for for personal reasons. I always say I I moved for a girl. uh, And so I've been here the last 20 years and uh, I'm with another girl. I'm on my second marriage, but uh, I have three kids. Actually, my oldest turns 18 today, if you can believe it. Uh, 14. Oh, awesome. So I caught on at USA and, um, you know, early on, kind of bounced around a little bit um, in my career, did a lot of programming, but I really wanted to get to the business side. And so um, started uh, supporting the actuaries and, and tried my hand at those actuarial exams for a time, but I, I just couldn't hack it, uh, i got to be honest. And so I had the opportunity to move to the underwriting department in 2005. They were starting an analytics shop and they said, you've got your CPCU, you're not passing any of exams, you don't need to do that anymore, like just come have some fun building this team. And so that kind of uh, led to almost a 15 career in the underwriting department at USA doing various jobs, uh, culminating in the last five or six years really focused on catastrophic risks. So hurricanes, wildfires, tornadoes, hailstorms, earthquakes, lava flows, you name it. And um, so, yeah, I kind of um, had the experience working with a lot of tech companies and, 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 you know, data provider startups doing AI, machine learning, all sorts of really cool stuff. And so that led to, uh, me writing the book, uh, The End of Insurance as We Know It, and actually uh, to my current role as the Director of Innovation at AF Group. Cool. Talk about the book. Yeah. So um, so here, I got a copy here. I'm like that in my last 20 yeah. copies. I need to reorder. So uh, so that's it. Uh, it's, 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 uh, it's pretty crazy to actually be able to touch it. I know, right? Yeah, there you go. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and um, so yeah, early last year, you know, I was reading a lot of the, the headlines about InsureTech and, and uh, I was meeting with companies that I just felt like I was getting a glimpse of the future. I would leave a meeting and be like, wow, that's what insurance is going to be like 10 years from now. And I just, I, I just was, was blessed. I was fortunate. I just got to see a glimpse of the future, like right here, right now. It's like, you know, seeing Amazon like pre-internet days or something like that, right? You know, or seeing Google when everyone's using you know, uh, just, just to, to know how to search for stuff. So that's really the moment that I felt like we were in for insurance. And so I started as a very personal exercise. I just opened up a word document one night. I was like, I had to get all this stuff that's in my head on on paper. And I just kept writing and kept writing. And I looked up and I had 25 pages of notes and I called the, the document brain dump, just get it all out there. And then um, I happened to be talking with Tony Kanyas from the insurance nerds in Carly Burnham. Uh, they happened to be visiting in San Antonio for a meetup. 
And uh, so we had a conversation and they told me they were, they had published their own book called Ensuring Tomorrow um, about kind of millennials in the, the workforce. Uh, that was a very good book, very compelling. And then they were telling me in San Antonio that they were going to publish a new book from Bill Wilson, who spent 40 years in the industry, very, very knowledgeable working with independent agents. Uh, his book was all about resolving claims disputes. And so Bill's very funny. So he's got a great sense of humor, but he's also a teacher and an educator and he provides a lot of wisdom and knowledge. And so he, anyone could have wrote his book because he's so well known and he chose the insurance nerd to publish his book. So kind of got the wheel spinning a little bit. And I said, well, if I were to shape this kind of mess that's out there right now into kind of a, an outline and, you know, would you be interested in publishing a book? And I said, yeah, absolutely. So spent the next three months kind of moving to an outline. Ultimately the outline was 60 pages long. It's longer than like any paper I ever wrote for college or anything like that. Wow. And uh, so then I showed it to him and just trying to give that mess some structure and um, so a cat had, here's the chapters, here's what it would be about or whatever. And so they said, yeah, go for it. We're going to green light your project. So it took about another four months to, to write it. And I had two people busy helping with the editing. So uh, I just kept cranking. I never got writer's block. And, um, you know, kind of uh, had some hiccups towards the end, but uh, ended up uh, releasing it in February of this year. And it's already sold over 600 copies. Uh, it's actually been sold in 10 countries, which is just amazing to believe. And the week it came out, actually, I had an individual from Nigeria send me a note on Twitter. I'd love to buy your book. And I was like, I'll just send you a copy. Tell me where you're at. And so then the next day, somebody from Nigeria hit me up and I thought it was the same guy. I was like, oh, don't worry, your book's on your way. And I realized it was somebody else. And I was like, first week my book comes out, two people halfway around the world already know about it. This kind of small, you know, niche subject and independently published book. And it's just a testament really to um, all the stuff I talk about in the book, right? What a world that we we live in in 2019. That's so cool. How, how many pages is it now? Started with 60. Uh, it's over 300 pages. So uh, it's funny because wow. at the beginning of the book, uh, you know, talking with the publisher, they, you know, because I asked it about length, they kind of said, you know, probably something somebody could read on an airplane plane ride. So at the <laughs> beginning of the book, I talk about that you should be able to read it on an airplane ride. And most people are like, yeah, New York to Tokyo. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's a little bit longer than that. So the, the title's so interesting. Can you give us some highlights? What, what to expect? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we worked hard on the title. We kind of kicked around some different ones. And then that one, I, I just threw that one out there and it just instantly stuck. We had that REM song right in our head. And it, it's intentionally that way. So, even an underwriter can be a, a marketer uh, sometimes. So um, <laughs> the book is really divided into four sections. So the first one is what's wrong with insurance? Like, why are we talking about, you know, all the problems insurance has? And for your audience, they're probably very familiar with that. But I really, in fact, there's lots of pain points, right? Hundreds of pain points. But I try to categorize it into seven different ones. It's, it's Insurance is too expensive, right? It's a very costly product for many people and unlike your electric bill where it's like well if i don't pay it i don't have electricity i don't have heat I don't have, you know tv my cable bill my my cell phone bill my you know water i don't pay the water bill i can't turn on the water it's very obvious like kind of the benefit that you get from this insurance is not that way it's like well, i pay it because i have to have it for auto or for home or for my business but you know 95 percent of the time you don't use it right you don't have a claim you don't want to have a claim i don't want to use it and so it's just this kind of weird, it's, is it a product or a service? 
and you're spending a lot of money on it. Um, that's also a cash drain, right? So it's, it's forced say it's like you've got to pay, you can't just, I guess you could put it on your credit card, but you're going to quickly max out your credit card if you do that. Right. So, um, I'm paying for something that there's a small chance I might actually need. Right. Um, right. It's uh, too confusing. So when you do try to go use it, right, you're like, oh, good, I have a claim. Fix this. Oh, well, I got a deductible and a limit. That's not kind of, that's actually excluded, right? So when you try to go use it after you spend all this money on it, it just uh, oftentimes leads to a lot of frustration, right? A lot of, of misunderstanding. And, and, and if your claim's denied, that's a very frustrating experience, even though that might be the absolutely right dispensation, right, based on the, the facts of, of, of that particular um, loss but it, it's it's uh it's not fun to try to use it and, and to kind of run through that i was too easy to gain the system on the other hand right so i just tweeted out today um you know we all kind of have like our fitbit and we're all trying to get our ten thousand steps in and i guess somebody in china has designed a rocker that you can put your phone in to rock it back and forth to get your ten thousand steps in and i guess over there it like lowers your life insurance premium or something like that <laughs> Like, this is what happens. People game the system, right? Yeah. And then the rest of us kind of all have to pay more in, in premium because of people <laughs> like that. Um, it doesn't cover everything or everyone. It doesn't cover all covers of law. So there's a lot of holes in this product, even though it's 300 years old. The second part is really, you know, where's our Uber moment, right? So taxis were kind of a highly regulated uh, industry that nobody liked, right? And all of a sudden Uber comes along. It's just so much easier, so much more convenient with the app on your phone. It's usually a fraction of the cost. Um, you don't have to haggle with a cabbie over, you know, do they take credit cards and things like that. So, um, but, but, but insurance really is different, right? It's not an Airbnb. It's not buying, you know, airline tickets. It's not you know, the online retail store that an Amazon is or a Netflix. Um, it's very complicated. It's a complicated financial instrument that's a legal contract. So there's a lot that goes into insurance. And so I really kind of spend quite a bit of time like, hey, why haven't we had that kind of, you know, Uber moment in insurance yet? The third section talks about all the technologies that I think we all see in the press and, and, and buzzwords, right? Blockchain, AI, telematics, smart home, like all this stuff. Um, and a lot of people have told me, Rob, like that's the first kind of accessible definition or, or description of these. So if you're a real tech head, it, 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 it's not really for you. you. You may know more about one or more of these technologies, but it definitely gives a broad overview that's meant to be accessible for a general audience. Just to give you some background, as you see some of those headlines, um, you can maybe understand uh, a little bit better, like if this is significant or not significant. And it also talks about really tying it back to those fatal flaws. Like what are some of the, the problems or the use cases that these technologies could be brought to bear on and, and why are they so exciting? Why do you see so much press about them? And then the fourth is really kind of crystal ball time. I don't, certainly don't have any, any special insights, but it's kind of designed to be a way to think about all this going forward, to structure your thinking and really um, help guide you, I guess, um, no matter what seat you're, you're in. So if you're an agent, if you're a claims adjuster, if you're working in a carrier, really anywhere in kind of the, the ecosystem, you're, you know, early in your career, you're in the middle of your career, you're at the tail end of your career. Um, I think we're all really struggling with this. We're hearing all sorts of terms about, you know, seed funding and, you know, disruption and incumbents. And, you know, it's like, wow, when did Silicon Valley invade my little, you know, insurance corner of the world so it, it um it's a lot to deal with and uh you know it's really meant to be a guide to 
to help everybody as we kind of enter this uncharted waters for insurance. And I know we've all said that in the past, right? But it really is coming. I, I've seen it firsthand. I've, I've seen it. I'm certainly not there yet. We're still at the cusp in the early stages, but it, it's absolutely meant to be kind of an essential guide for both startups, right? That don't know anything about the insurance world and want to come in and speak our language about frequency and severity and loss ratios and premiums and all sorts of stuff, as well as um, for an insurance um, a professional to kind of understand this insure tech world. Cool, man. Like That's awesome. That I, I love tech. Um, I see where it's going. I, I, I can imagine all of the, you know, changes that's going to happen with, um, I mean, sales agents in general, right? Cause the internet is, is the middleman. You know, we, we used to be the middleman pretty easy when a sales agent's the middleman. Cause Hey, you have to have them. Now you have sales agent plus the internet. So you're almost competing. Um, and you know, most companies and stuff are going to be smarter and smarter with AI. Uh, so it's, it's definitely interesting to, to think about where that's going. If you think about all the, the questions you've got to ask and answer and that can be confusing and capturing all that data in the back and forth, right. Either on the, 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 just a quote, right. A coverage, uh, certainly on the claim side as well. Um, if, if, if you had somebody come in, right, a prospect coming to your office and just say, Hey, I'd like to get a quote. Here's my blockchain. Boom. It has every piece of information already verified on it. And then, you know, a minute you're able to run a bunch of, quotes and, and, and really talk to them about their coverage and coverage needs. And you don't have to spend time with the data entry. You're verifying this piece of information or that, right? What's your payroll? How many facilities do you have? What's the square footage of your house? Don't include your garage, things like that. Right. Um, it would just make life so much easier. And I think for agents, um, certainly, you know, I, I, I think um, some agents are having a lot of success um, doing business in traditional ways. And, and to the extent that they continue to have success, I think they absolutely can stay in that world. But I do think um, people are, are finding efficiencies, right, in the digital age. And it can be simply you know, process automation or make some of the process smoother. But it's also potential acquisition, rather right? so than cold calls or knocking on doors, you can actually put out a, uh, a Facebook ad or, or use AdWords in Google or you know, really kind of that digital marketing. And then obviously folks that kind of see um, your shingle, I guess, out there, right, from a digital marketing standpoint, may want to start to engage with you in a digital channel. And maybe that results in a phone call, maybe that results in somebody coming physically to your office. But um, I just think um, at certain points, these kind of mixed channels are the way that a lot of folks like to do business in 2019. Yep. Why, why have so many of the, of the insurance companies been so slow to adapt to, to these newer technologies, you know, as all this stuff comes online and, and I think in the captive world, it, it moves even slower because, you know, where uh, Jason and I have had a lot of, a lot of, we've been blessed to talk with a lot of really cool people that are outside of our ecosystem. And it's like, Whoa, wait, what? You know, like, it's like, they've been, they've had this curtain around us and we can't even, we couldn't see out there. And now that we're outside that box, we're seeing some things that are really, really exciting. Uh, but, but in our world, it, it just seems like everything is moving so slow, right? And it's 2019. Yeah. 
I think it's a combination of three things if I had to, to, to kind of boil it down. The first, ironically, is legacy technology, right? So insurance companies were one of the very first to embrace some of these old mainframe systems, right? Before we even invented a personal computer that sat on your desk back in the 80s. Um, and, you know, somebody described it to me. They said legacy technology was perfect for insurance because you had this kind of batch processing, right? You didn't really care about the real time. You cared, let me capture all the information overnight or, or, or during the day and then have it run overnight or have renewals all batched to kind of run all in one cycle overnight. So um, for insurance working in kind of daily chunks, right? Like that kind of batch processing on a mainframe technology made a lot of sense. Well, now we live in an IoT world where you're just streaming data all day long. It's just a fundamentally different world than it was in the 70s. So uh, the second part, of course, is you don't want to mess up like your policy administration system, your agent management system, your claim system. Like if you screw that too much, right, and you break something, that's a huge problem. It's a problem for your business. It's a problem potentially from a legal standpoint, right? Um, you're talking about a legal contract. You're talking about lots of money, a financial incident. Like, there's a lot at stake when it comes to insurance. And so it's it's definitely kind of the, the Hippocratic oath, first do no harm, right? You really don't want to mess with something that's working. And quite frankly, in many of these legacy things, the people that built it are retired. They're long gone. It may be written in COBOL or Fortran or some old language that they don't teach in schools anymore. Like, like you don't even know what your system, it's like, I have a binder and it tells me that the system is doing X, Y, and Z, but maybe it's doing A, B, and C instead. I don't really know. It's got to wade through and, and really understand that. And then the third part, of course, is the regulatory environment. Um, just that, um, making sure you're in compliance, making sure you've ticked and tied everything. Uh, Tony Kindness once said, Rob, do you know why there aren't any radical insurance companies out there? I was like, no, why? He goes, because they've all gone insolvent, right? Only the conservatives survive in insurance. And so there's some truth to that, right? That it's like, hey, those of you that follow the rules and manage your money and are very cautious and careful, those tend to be the ones that, that last long. One of the things I talk about in the book and I also talk about in my keynotes is, if you pull up the top 10 carriers for property and casualty in the US, the youngest carrier was founded in 1937. I mean, that's unheard of staying power. If you look at any other industry, you're gonna have much more turnover. And yeah, there's some mergers in there, some acquisitions, but for the most part, if the youngest company was founded in 1937 and probably half of them were founded in the 18 somethings, that's just tremendous staying power. And so that conservative culture that's lasted over decades is, uh, definitely hampering adoption to, to change and really that urgency, right? It's not just acknowledging the need to change. That's part of it. I think a lot of carriers are there. It's more the urgency behind it, the pace of change that we're not seeing uh, in insurance the way we see in other aspects of our life. Yeah. Cause everything's like doubling every year, year over year, doubling, tripling. I mean, it's not, I, that's what I tell everybody with technology. It's not this, linear yep. gradual you know rise like every year it's crazy how much more data we get it's unreal yeah i know you're spot on jason because um, i saw a chart in the book too and it, it says you know if you think about an exponential curve right it starts out fairly flat it looks linear so you can say well i've been in the industry 20 years and i've seen change and so change looks like this over that 20 years so i'm just going to project that forward and think, well, yeah, this is where I'm going to end up 20 years from now. 
But when you're on an exponential curve, you can't do that, right? In fact, that mm -hmm. history actually kind of hampers your ability. And younger people coming into the industry, yeah, maybe they only have two or three years of experience, but their experience is on this part of the slope, right? So they actually can do a better job anticipating where all this is going than somebody that has more experience and thinks the slope is flatter. So you're absolutely right about that. The other thing I mentioned is um, I opened the book with a story about my dad. I took him on a road trip uh, at the beginning, uh, over the summer last year to go see his baby sister that lives in upstate New York. So we went from Texas to, to upstate New York. And I went to go pick him up, right? Because he has a hard time driving and all that. Doesn't want to be on planes. And he had a bunch of maps from AAA. He's like printed <laughs> out. And I was like, okay, I used to do that when I was a kid. But like, I've got GPS. And, you know, we crossed the border from Missouri to Illinois. He diligently put away the Missouri map and pull out the Illinois map, right? And <laughs> it just, it was like blowing my mind. Like, oh my God, this is like back to the What is this? Like, what is this thing? And so... Think about GPS, right? It's streaming real-time data. It's giving you the road conditions and the traffic and all that live in real time, what it is right now and feeding it to your phone. It's got AI in the background to tell you like how long it's going to take you to get to your destination, right? And we don't think of this as being advanced technology. We all use GPS each and every day. So to take us out of that paper world in that context doesn't seem like a big stretch. We're all using it today. But if you switch over to insurance, all of a sudden leaving my paper world does feel like this huge leap that's really hard. And, you know, you know all these terms, it gets really confusing. And I, I tell people we're already using it in other aspects of our lives. It's really just yeah. bringing insurance into the 21st century. It's crazy to think about. I mean, Ronald Reagan ran, ran the free world with something not even this powerful. <laughs> right? Like, that is unreal. That wasn't long ago. Well, it doesn't no feel long Twitter. ago. No Twitter. No Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> hey, iPhone was invented only in 2007, right? It's been around a, do a dozen years. I mean, it's like indispensable. Unbelievable. This thing before. Yeah. And it just shows that curve, right? Because when it came out, it didn't do much. There wasn't an app store. It only did a few things, but you could search the internet, not very well. And it's, the snail's pace. It was like the first and, and, and how much more preferable is this to the, the PC, right? Like you'd rather be on this. It's easier. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, that's, yeah, it's, it's remarkable. Absolutely. Yeah. For the no, audio listeners, I was holding my iPhone up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nobody searches anything. I mean, if you look at the, at the data of who searches a website, I mean, it, it's ridiculous. The amount of mm -hmm. people that search on their phone rather than a desktop. A desktop isn't really, it's, 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 it's like, like a it's like mainframe, right? Back in the yeah. Like, oh, I got to go to my office. Like, I log on my desktop. What? Yeah. I don't want to deal with that. I mean, I don't like think about how long it takes to, it takes some time to turn on, to open some systems. It's like it's a phone just, you don't even have to restart it. It's always it's right on. There. It's all right in your fingertips, literally. Yeah, it's crazy. So, so what are you up to besides besides promoting the book? You got a lot going on. I do. Yeah. So a lot of travel, a lot of keynotes, and uh, and other events. Um, I happened to go to uh, Istanbul, Turkey, about a month ago, and uh, so that was a really cool event. Had never been to that part of the world, and uh, gave a talk, and actually got selected as the. Um, uh, most influential speaker. So that was really cool. We actually was on a, a, 
on a panel as well. So that was on a boat that was literally, we waited until we were right between Europe and Asia to start the panel. So that was just a really cool experience. Um, so doing a lot of that and, and folks can follow me on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram and, and Facebook and kind of see some of the adventures. Also, I have a lot of my travels on uh, the book's website, endofinsurance.com. And then starting this job at AF Group, so I've been there just over a month. I work for a gentleman by the name of Abel Travis. So uh, some of you may know Abel. He has a podcast uh, called the Insurance Innovators Unscripted Podcast. And that's actually how I first got introduced to Abel, was listening to his podcast over the last year or so. And um, then I happened to, to meet him at a conference and we kind of started a dialogue. I sent him an advanced copy of the book last year for his feedback. And um, when this opportunity opened up, he reached out and uh, said, would you be interested in applying? And I interviewed and felt very fortunate to get the job. So AF group, AF stands for Accident Fund. Um, that was kind of has its roots in uh, Michigan. So it's a bit of a homecoming for me. Uh, I work for my home in San Antonio, Texas, but uh, AF Group is headquartered in Lansing, Michigan. It was originally, way back in the day, the State Fund of Michigan and uh, became privatized and um, has grown and acquired some other brands over the years. And so I uh, just broke into the top 10 in the workers' comp space last year. So uh, really proud of that. Uh, but actually looking to grow uh, both in the workers' comp and then outside of workers' comp. So there's a lot of other lines that uh, we're looking at getting into, as well as um, some specialty agreements uh, that um, we're trying to do and, and really pursue from our CEO, Lisa Corliss, all the way down. Um, we have a culture of innovation and uh, it's a small enough company that, you know, if you have a good idea, you can just you know, walk to somebody's desk and kind of talk about it. And I've already really enjoyed that experience as opportunities have come up. We've been able to kind of vet them really quickly and, and pursuing some exciting opportunities. So just super thrilled to be with AF Group and uh, looking forward to what we can accomplish over the coming years. And what do you do there? Yeah, Broken so I'm a director of innovation. So I have a team of three individuals that uh, report to me. And, uh, you know, innovation is, um, a lot of people think it's really ch chasing what I call BSOs, right, bright, shiny objects. But it's really a discipline. <laughs> That's something that I want everyone to, to, to know. So we're trying to instill it at AF Group, and I would encourage everyone to do the same. It's just like underwriting. It's just like HR, IT, finance, right, claims, uh, actuary. It's no different than that, you know. So, you know, there, there's different functions. There's really scouting, right? First of all, kind of meeting all these insure techs, seeing what's in the landscape, what's out there. Um, in addition to kind of scouting some of the, the companies and the technologies and seeing what's out there, um, doing some market intelligence, competitive analysis, kind of seeing what are competitors doing, where do we think some market opportunities are, and then really working with internal stakeholders to understand their pain points, their needs. Uh, both from a growth and diversification strategy as well as kind of efficiency and automation standpoint, looking outside and inside, and really try to bring all that together and then creating business plans. So being very rigorous about, okay, if we were to leverage this technology and pursue this opportunity, um, you know, what would it cost? What would the return be? You know, we have limited resources, limited amount of uh, capital, limited amount of people, limited amount of technologies. And so we have to be very selective about what we choose. And then once we decide to go down a different path and get the agreement all the way up to the executive level, then actually, you know, working on the execution is that. So we don't wipe our hands and, and over the wallet at that point. We're actually um, along for the ride as that car is being built. And at the end, you know, we want to make sure that it's working well. And eventually we'll turn the keys of that 
a new bright shiny car over to somebody, but we actually have a, a working product that's accepted by the, the business. So um, it's a challenge because you're constantly wearing so many different hats and at different parts kind of of the innovation process. Uh, but I wouldn't want to have it any other way. It's, it's not just a, a glorified procurement or vetting arm, uh, the front door, right, uh, before the business kind of steps in and says, okay, you know, the, the, the adults are in the room, we're going to take up our role here. It's, it's really working alongside the business, again, as a true uh, discipline. At what point is it that we're young, we're trying new stuff, everything's, you know, like we're, we're sponges and we, we are so creative and there's no rules. There's no box. Right. And then at some point you grow up and you, you got all these constructs and it's like, we, we don't try stuff anymore. Why? And, and then to your point, Craig, it's like old insurance agents or agencies, not agents, uh, agencies, um, or insurance carriers and stuff, they're, they're just so confined to their old systems. They're not thinking so out of the box. Um, so, I mean, not having funding, as much funding as some of the big companies is also an advantage because you're, you're not held by, you know, the, what's been going on since 1930, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a huge balance, right? You don't want it to simply be top down. Of course, you've got executives for a reason and, and uh, you've got you know, principals for a reason. They, they've been in the industry, they kind of have seen things and so they can spot some of those opportunities. But you don't want to be the pet projects department chasing down every rabbit hole mm -hmm. that everyone kind of throws over to you. So um, you also want to be able to do some bottom up. And that's where that kind of that market intelligence, be able to kind of go to the executives and say, hey, here's what we're seeing on the ground. Here's what people are asking us, right? These are the types of exposures that are coming into the door. We're seeing more gig economy workers. So, you know, one open question is like, hey, if half the workforce is gig economy by 2027, and what are the implications for a worker's comp insurance? Like that, that could look very differently under that kind of environment. Um, so, you know, having those type of conversations and, and driving those, so it's, it's absolutely communication kind of all the way up and down the, 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 the channel. Um, and then, you know, I think it's so easy to get caught in our routine of the day to day. So again, this kind of goes back to that discipline. Do you have the discipline to challenge your, your organization, your way of thinking? kind of stress test everything, right? You know, and, and you may come back to know we're doing things as efficiently as possible, or we know we're inefficient, but there's too many opportunities to chase, so we're only doing these three. Um, one of the, the, the favorite stories I have is actually from the Steve Jobs biography by Walter Isaacson. If any of you have read that, where Steve Jobs is like all his top people kind of get in a room and they gnash teeth and pull hair for a whole week, getting down a list of 100 project ideas to 10. And then they present the top 10 to Steve Jobs and he just draws a line under number three. He's like, we can only execute on the top three. And just that simplicity and that cleanliness, I wish every organization had that. Too often everyone's trying to chase all 100. They don't even bother to narrow it down to a 10, much less draw the line at, at under number three. So uh, that's really, I think, the challenge for all of us. And it's very easy to get bogged down in the day-to-day -day and it's really get uh, bogged down in the, the complexity. And again, all the technology and opportunities, it's just overwhelming it is so rob if you had to do it all over again what's the number one thing you would change on insurance just through your journey of what got you to where you're at today and all the experiences um, you've had yeah um I, you know i think um for me i i'm a little bit of an in the moment type person um kind of enjoying the journey you know not the destination so much so i don't know that i would necessarily change that all although um, 
maybe being a little bit more thoughtful. I'm not the most organized person in the world. I hate to admit I'm not the most careful planner. So I'll give you an example. When the book went on Amazon, I just put it on Amazon, right? Here you go. The book's published. It's already out there. And I had a friend of mine that's published a couple of books. He goes, where, where are all the reviewers? Like you need to have like 20 people lined up to, to give you five-star reviews right away or whatever. And I was like, well, I just want people to put whatever they want for the review. Like I didn't really think about it. Right. And I've been fortunate <laughs> that I've got some, some kind people that have gone out there and done reviews on their own and they, they, they've all given it five stars so far. So I'm really excited about that, but you know, that's all genuine. That's all authentic. I haven't like seeded it or anything like that. So I, you know, I have kind of a naivete that I think as I entered it, it was like, well, I didn't think about that. I didn't think about, well, if you don't have reviews and Amazon doesn't show it to the right audience and all that. So, um, no, for those of you that have read it, or if you read it and you like it, you know, please, please leave a review on Amazon because that definitely you know helps. I've had a lot of people privately tell me they like it or send me a LinkedIn message, and I'm like, that doesn't mean no good. You have to put the review on Amazon, right? So, um, but you know, I, I I think there's a balance there, right? You can only plan so much, and at some point, you know, I I, I sat down with my 14 year old. He was like, what are you doing? I don't think this is a very responsible thing to do. You know, you're leaving your company, you're publishing a book what's going on and <laughs> he said that time, you know like you only have one life and at a certain point you kind of just make these I said you know I, I wouldn't want to live with the regret of having this book kind of in me and never writing it never publishing it right so um, I think for me that's the, the lesson is to try to look before I leap a little bit more than I do but at the same time fully stay in the moment that's awesome it's awesome man Look at that silence. I, I'm I'm curious in your, in your vision. In your vision, it was so great. We all had to take a moment. I, well, I, we always steamroll each other. So I'm like, I know, just, I know, Craig was going to say something. So we we're like looking at each I'm other. Curious that, that vision of Greenspan in the in the bathtub is. Are there bubbles? Does he use bubble bath? I, you know, that is a great question. I I don't know. I will say that um, I read his. Uh, autobiography after he retired from the Federal Reserve and he actually specifically mentions that he has a really bad back and that he would soak it every night so it kind of gave some credibility to she's not just not just telling me that that uh yeah that's still you gotta get a painting of that it's hard to unsee that in your mind yeah you can't hit the undo button on that one (laughs) that has to be a piece of artwork at some point somebody has to paint that (laughs) <laughs> like the dogs playing poker, but it's Greenspan. Right. <laughs> That's right, yeah. awesome. Now there was one time um, I went to my office at the Federal Reserve and I had, you know, a set of papers in my chair and there were graphs in, 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 in the write-up on this memo. And I saw a couple numbers circle and said, these numbers are wrong. Check them again, AG. And it was Greenspan himself. And so like, it's the type of thing where I had to show my boss and he signed up and then he showed his boss and he showed his, but like this went through, you know, five or eight different people to get from me, lowly research assistant, all the way to Greenspan bed chairman. The fact that none of them had seen it, but yet in that moment of clairvoyance, probably in the bathtub, he saw <laughs> the return. So thankfully the papers were dry. They weren't, you know, <laughs> dripping or anything. <laughs> But I did kind of wonder when I grabbed it, like, hmm, I'm just going <laughs> to fix that little recording. Corrected by Alan. That's right. Yeah. So, Rob, where can we get the book? Obviously, you mentioned Amazon. 
yeah, so it's exclusively on Amazon. Uh, it's available in both uh, the, the Dead Trees paper version as well as Kindle. Uh, I will tell you, interestingly enough, the, book, the, the paper version is outselling the Kindle two to one. So I, I find that kind of interesting. Um, hmm. And uh, you can also go to my website, endofinsurance.com. Uh, so it's got not just the links to buy it on Amazon, but a whole lot of content. So uh, podcasts, um, some, some media, uh, book events. So I've got a book event coming up in Denver uh, this Monday, the 20th. Uh, we've got events planned for uh, Dallas and Los Angeles and Atlanta. And we'll try to do more um, over the, the summer and coming into the fall. So some more info to come. So it's always good to kind of go back out periodically and check endofinsurance.com. Uh, it's also got a list of all the keynotes. And to the extent that they record it, put it on YouTube or whatnot, you can actually see some of those keynotes as well. So that's a oh, great cool. Awesome. Cool. And well, is, is there an audio? Is there an audio version? Uh, yeah. No. So I'm glad you asked that. So um, no, that's another thing that kind of from a planning. So I've gotten that request. Probably the, the number one request I get is for an audio book. And um, a lot of people have told me they really enjoy having the author actually read, you know, his or her work. So yeah. that is the plan. And the long fold that's in is me and my schedule and just having the time to sit down and record it when you write 300 pages and then you have to read it out loud one word at a time over many, many hours into the audio version that takes the time. So um, it is coming because uh, I think it would be perfect for that kind of format. Um, TBD, I don't have a release date yet, but yes, we are actively pursuing an audio book version. Awesome. Rob, thank you so much. This has been this has been great, man. I love your take on on everything. Yeah, thank you guys so much, Craig, Jason. It was a pleasure to be on with you guys. Um, just really appreciate the opportunity to come on today. Awesome. Hey, we appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Your Insurance Dudes podcast is sponsored by Agency Vault, an industry leader in agency coaching hiring and retaining top talent and sales training with the seven step trusted advisor sales framework. Are you up for the challenge for $99? You'll get 28 days of access and an opportunity to join our private platinum coaching. For more information, navigate to www.agencyvault.com. Hey, thanks for checking out the insurance dudes. Hey, please subscribe. We got some really great stuff coming out. 